Pastors Larry and Tiz Huck welcome you to this weekly Torah study from New Beginnings Church in Bedford, Texas, taught by Pastor Scott Sigmund. We pray this message will help you better understand how God's Old Testament wisdom and New Testament revelation are meant to jointly fit together. So we're in uh, Torah study number 13 today. 13 is a lucky number for us. <laughs> Amen. Uh, we, uh, we begin our uh, study this week uh, into the book of Exodus. And the book of Exodus contains the greatest story ever told in the Old Testament. And I felt uh, led by the Lord to focus on the life of Moses today. Moses is the central figure throughout the rest of the Torah. The Torah is uh, the Pentateuch. Some of you in Greek learn that word, the Pentateuch. Uh, the five books of Moses, the Humash, the Torah. Uh, and Moses' life... His ministry is the preeminent example uh, in the Old Testament, what Jews call the Tanakh, uh, of the promised Messiah. If you see Moses, you see the Messiah. Uh, It's fascinating. When when I went to Bible college back in the 80s, uh, one of my teachers made a powerful statement. I've heard Marcus Lamb uh, say that, the late, great Marcus Lamb say it on TV, others say it, is that the Old Testament is the New Testament concealed. And the New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. And uh, this is a real profound statement, and it speaks to the mystery of the biblical concept of Gentiles being grafted into Israel. We've kind of missed that, by and large, in traditional church, that uh, Christianity is grafted into Judaism. Gentiles are grafted into the Jews. Uh, It speaks to the idea there's a strong Jewish component to our faith. Thus, it means Christianity needs to do whatever it can to retain the Jewishness of the gospel. Years ago, we used to see the bumper sticker, My boss is a Jewish carpenter. Who remembers that? My boss is a Jewish carpenter. He's not only a Jewish carpenter, he's a Jewish rabbi. And so, uh, this tells us that we're Judeo-Christians. Jewish Christians, that Christianity is Jewish. I can remember 10, 15 years ago, Derek had made that t-shirt, Christianity is Jewish. What a profound, simple statement. Uh, And uh, it tells us that uh, the Christian DNA comes from the Jew. Amen. And so, therefore, we need to honor and respect and study the biblical origins of our faith. If you go into biblicalancestry.com, you'll find out all your ancestors are Jewish. (laughs) Amen. And uh, Moses is the number one Old Testament figure uh, that... uh, Uh, we point to as an example uh, of the Messiah. 
He points to the work of the Messiah. He is the New Testament concealed. Yeah? And Yeshua, Jesus on the other hand, representing the New Testament revelation, His redeeming work as a deliverer, uh, is the ultimate manifestation of God's plan of salvation, and He is the Old Testament revealed. And so New Beginnings, uh, we've majored on this for many a year, uh, and so it's... uh, Uh, Just an appropriate time to review these things. Look at what Jesus said about Moses in John 5. Turn with me to John 5.46. This is from the complete Jewish Bible. Uh, Jesus saying, if you really believe Moshe, you would believe me. Because it was about me that he wrote. But if you don't believe what he wrote, how are, you going to be, uh, how are you going to believe what I say? If you don't believe Moses, how are you going to believe me? So what did uh, Moshe, what did Moses write about? He wrote the Torah. Yeah. And, and Jesus is telling us now that this Torah that Moses wrote uh, is, uh, I am the living example. I am the living Torah that Moses wrote about. I'm the living Word of God that was made flesh to dwell among you and accomplish part of God's plan. So if we reject the Old Testament and teach that it's been abolished, Aren't we, in effect, rejecting Jesus? Well, how could I say that? Because 2 Timothy 3.16 tells us all Scripture. All Scripture. Now, here's the dirty little secret. Uh, All Scripture at the time that that was written didn't include Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. That hadn't been written yet. Yeah, there were letters that were, and ideas and teachings uh, that were being exchanged, but it didn't become the New Testament until, uh, you know, into the second century. And so all scripture that's inspired by God starts in the Torah Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, what Moses wrote. It's God's wisdom. It's God's knowledge. It contains divine principles and prophetic teachings that we need to love and embrace. It's not meant to diminish what Jesus, Yeshua, has done. It's meant to amplify it. Amen. So, yeah, uh, many of us grew up in a church that uh, the Old Testament was only a picture of God's wrath and judgment. And uh, that if it wasn't for Jesus, the whole world would have burned alive in hell for eternity. But that's wrong. God had a plan of salvation all the way back to Adam and Eve. And uh, uh, when we study the book of Exodus, and you study how God set the captive free in the book of Exodus, you're seeing an extraordinary picture of the love of God. You're seeing amazing grace, how sweet the sound that touched Israel in bondage to Pharaoh. And you see his redeeming power at work. And his servant at that time is Moshe, Moses. And it's a perfect picture of the work of Yeshua. 
It's the quintessential illustration of the power of the blood. There is power, power, wonder-working power in the blood of the Lamb. You can sing that about Exodus. And you can sing that, of course, about the passion of the Christ. And Israel experienced the power of the blood at the very first Passover. Uh, and God's amazing grace is at work. Look, they're slaves for hundreds of years. It's hopeless. Right? In the natural, there's nothing they can do. There is a demonic, tyrannical power that has them in bondage. But one day they're slaves with no hope, and the next day they are set free by the blood of the Lamb. And this describes our own predicament. This is part of your testimony. How God translated you out of the kingdom of darkness by the power of the blood into the kingdom of His dear Son, Yeshua the Messiah. Amen? How many of you before Christ were walking on water and living the perfect life? (laughs) No one. We were all at some level oppressed by the enemy. But the moment we came to Christ, we made that commitment to the Lord, we were miraculously set free. Amen. Amen. That's why we love the Lord. Who has been forgiven much, loveth much. Amen. Is anybody grateful and thankful that you've been set free by the blood of the Lamb? Well, what has God ever done for me? He rescued your behind out of H-E-double-L. How about that? (laughs) And if that's all that's in the covenant, you couldn't praise Him enough. Because when we've been there 10,000 years, it'll like we have just begun. So thank you, Jesus. Turn and tell somebody, thank you, Jesus. So Moses is a Bible hero. It's not like Moses and Jesus have uh, cliques in heaven. Here's the Jesus side of heaven, and here's the Moses side of heaven. Here's the Old Testament side, and here's the New Testament side. And there's a wall of partition. That's silly, that's stupid, and yet the church, by and large, will teach that kind of thing. Amen? But uh, Moses, then, is the, uh, the preeminent figure. He's not only God's chosen deliverer, he's the mediator between God and Israel at Mount Sinai. He's the intercessor who said, I'll give my life for Israel if you'll save Israel after this grievous sin of the golden calf. He's a pastor. He's a teacher for 40 years in the wilderness, schooling the Jewish people how to become a great people and a great nation. And he instilled in them a lasting faith that's lasted 3,500 years. Right? All the oppressors that have come, all the the wicked plans of the enemy to try to uh, commit genocide against the Jewish people have failed. And they have passed along, this is what Paul says, what, what, 
What benefit, what advantage is it of being a Jew? Hey, hey, dudes, they're the ones that gave us the Messiah. They preserved the Word. They preserved the Shekinah glory and passed it on so you could partake, Gentile. Yeah. And so we need to look at Moses as a legend. And we need to respect his qualities of faithfulness and obedience and wisdom. He deserves our utmost admiration and respect. Amen? Uh, And uh, look at this in Deuteronomy 34, verse 10. If you have your Bible, turn over to Deuteronomy 34, 10. This is out of the Names of God Bible. There has never been another prophet in Israel like Moses, whom Yahweh dealt with face to face. He was the one Yahweh sent to do all the miraculous signs and amazing things in Egypt to Pharaoh, to all his officials, and to his whole country. Moses used his mighty hand to do all the spectacular and awe-inspiring deeds that were seen by all the Israelites. Moses. Unfortunately, uh, a lot of Christian theology wants to diminish Moses' life. Wants to diminish the Old Testament when compared to Jesus in the New Testament. Rather than showing how the two are jointly fit together. Amen? So we need to begin to see Moses and Jesus as brothers in faith. Extraordinary leaders. Prophets, lawgivers, teachers, high priests and more. Let let me just go through uh, some more of the list that shows how interconnected Jesus is with Moses. Both as babies have a miraculous birth. They have a miraculous beginning. They both have faithful Jewish parents. They both have rulers who attempt to kill them. Both stories involve government sanction of mass murder of kids. This is what This prayer event is all about on January 20th, the March for Life prayer event here at New Beginnings, is that we're standing against any government sanction of killing the unborn. And we're promoting and praying for the sanctity of life. Now, true, there there are instances and exceptions on when things happen. Like, uh, we were talking about this in the sense of you get an 11-year-old girl who is taken captive by Hamas and brutally raped and now is pregnant, what might we do in that case? Is there exceptions to incest and to rape when it comes to pregnancy? Yeah, there's always going to be certain exceptions that need to be moderated with a wise biblical mind. But by and large, that's not America's form of birth control. Right? But we can't teach abstinence anymore. Yeah, but uh, we do in the church. So anyways, both parents have to devise rescue plans to save their child. Both spent their early years in Egypt and were miraculously protected. Both were sent from God to save their people. Amen? Both faced rejection. Both knew God face to face. 
Both launch their redemptive ministry on a donkey. Both are harshly judged by a ruling authority. Both set the captive free. Both were sent to a mountaintop by God. Both were mediators of a covenant of blood between God and man. And both offered to die on behalf of the sins of the people. Yeah, they have a lot in common. And God planned it that way. Here's an interesting side note. In Hebrew, the numerical number, uh, the numerical value of the name Moses, Moshi, is 345. And uh, for the Messiah, the Moshiach, it's 358 is the numerical value. That's a difference of 13. And in Bible math, you could say Moses plus 13 equals Moshiach. But it's interesting that the Hebrew word echad, Shema Israel Adonai Eloheinu Adonai echad, echad. That's an important word in the Jewish faith. That's the Jewish prayer, the Shema. Uh, and the key word, uh, one of the, is ikad, and ikad means one. And it just so happens that the numerical value of the word ikad is 13. So in Bible math, uh, you could say that Moses plus Echad equals Moshiach. Amen? And there is, uh, prophetically, one day is coming as Zechariah, you can turn over there if you're quick, Zechariah 14.9 speaks of a coming day in the Messianic era. When the Lord shall be king over all the earth, in that day it shall be the Lord is Echad. The Lord is one. So Moshiach and Moses, when you do the math this way, shows this connection, this relationship. It's a relationship of unity, of solidarity between Moses and Jesus. They don't have cliques in heaven. Now, uh, despite all of this biblical knowledge we're talking about right now, Bible colleges and cemeteries, I mean seminaries, have spent years trying to divide and separate Moses and Jesus as if there's some kind of rift between them. And one of the, uh, the important scriptures that's been greatly misunderstood in this regard, is John one seventeen. Go over to John one seventeen. Most translations have a similar meaning to what I'm about to share. The law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Now, most translations, go to Bible Gateway, spend 20 minutes and look at all the translations, will uh, use this conjunction of but. 
And thus, Christian theologians use this verse to show how Moses was in some way inferior and substandard to Jesus. And rather than celebrate how Moses and Jesus uh, represent the same things, uh, uh, we use it to divide. Now, who likes to divide and conquer? The traditional Christian takeaway here is that Moses brought legalism. He brought the law. Legalism. He brought bondage. It was weak, insufficient, and it was only through the coming of the Messiah that we have any grace or truth. Wrong, 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 wrong. How is uh, uh, the Exodus story not the grace of God? How is the Torah not the truth of God if all Scripture is inspired by God and given to be profitable and valuable? One crazy example of this scripture, John 1.17, is in the Living Bible. I like the Living Bible, cited a lot, but we need to learn how to eat the meat and spit out the bone. Here's the bone. For Moses gave us only the law with its rigid demands and merciless justice. While Jesus Christ brought us loving forgiveness. Okay, so now I read that and I think, oh, Moses, yuck. Jesus, good. Moses, bad. Orange man, bad. It's actually the very opposite is the case. But there's not many translations that will show this. The Tree of Life version, the uh, complete Jewish Bible version maybe do the best at trying to explain what theologians tr- struggle to explain. Pastors struggle to explain. And, and their version says Torah was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Yeshua the Messiah. And so what we're trying to do, we get into the book of Exodus, is just have this overview of Moses as a great Bible hero, a great Bible leader, representing the Lord, representing an aspect of his divine inspiration through the Torah, and how he relates to the Lord Jesus, and how they're interconnected in a positive way. That the... There is one page in the Bible that is uninspired. Out of all the pages from Genesis to Revelation, there is one page that is uninspired. And that's the page that separates the Old Testament from the New Testament. God never intended that. He intended us to be grafted in, to build on that knowledge, to build on that wisdom, to uh, uh, re-understand the divine principles that God had laid out since the days of Adam and Eve. And it turns out that one of the most amazing teachings in all the Bible that explains the correct relationship between Moses in the Old Testament and Jesus in the New Testament is a parable from the Lord. Over in Matthew 9, turn over to Matthew 9, verse 16 and 17. Here the Lord is explaining 
this dilemma of an old garment that has a tear in it and it needs repairing. And he says that we need to have a new cloth to repair what was torn, what's missing, that, that tear, that, that, uh, 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 that rip in the garment. But he says that the new cloth for repairing the garment has to first be shrunk. Do you see that? It has to be adapted before it's sewn into the old garment. If you don't do that, if it's not tailored correctly, the garment will become worse than before. Now what's the deeper meaning here? The deeper meaning uh, is referring to the old garment as Judaism, as the Old Testament. What's your is... opinion on something? Hello. Amen. We got something going on there, Gerald. Somebody on the uh, needs to be muted on Zoom. We love our Zoom family. God bless you. Thank you for joining in. If you didn't know, on the Torah study page uh, on the New Beginnings website, uh, there's a Torah study page that has all of our teachings. Uh, and uh, eight people, I guess, are Zooming with us this morning. And there's a permanent link on there. You just click that link, and uh, you can join in every Sunday morning at 9 a.m. So anyways, the old garment is the Old Testament. It's Judaism that existed at the time of Jesus. Uh, But there's something missing. That's what the rip, the tear, represents. And that what is missing is the Messiah and the revelation of the Messiah. And Jesus says the revelation of the Messiah is represented by that piece of cloth that's about to be sewn in to the old garment. Notice Jesus says we're not discarding and throwing away the old garment and starting over from scratch. We're going to keep the old garment. Because there's just one thing missing. The revelation of the Messiah. But we need to shrink that revelation in the sense of it needs to be adapted. It needs to be shrunk. It needs to be cured and tailored so that when you sew that into the old garment, uh, 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 it doesn't uh, create a problem worse than when you started. And that's what's happened in religion over the last 2,000 years. This feud between Christians and Jews has existed in the church and in the synagogue for 2,000 years, and things have gotten worse. And now in the last days, we're realizing, holy shnikes, Tommy boy, we've been grafted in! So don't get lifted up in pride, Roman church. You don't support Israel. Israel supports you. The spiritual revelations, the foundation of our faith, the DNA, the origins are rooted in Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Moses, and the Torah. Not to diminish what Jesus has done, 
but to add on to it and give us a fuller, more powerful uh, faith. Amen? So, Jesus teaches that the old garment of Judaism is very much worth keeping. It has great value. Don't throw it away. It just needs the tear in the fabric to be repaired and renewed in special. We have to handle these situations delicately. Just wish they eat Jesus or burn in hell. Oh, that's very delicate. <laughs> that, I can remember when I first got saved, that was my salvation approach. Me, the worst of all sinners, uh, who saved by grace, now turned to all my family and friends, Turn or burn! Oh, nice move, Scott. <laughs> you come a long way, Pilgrim. So the terror, the missing piece, is the Messiah. It symbolizes the new covenant revelation. And it needs to be adapted and tailored to fit the existing garment. They're both interconnected. They're both interwoven. Now, um, if you do a deeper study on the word new, it helps to explain this. The word new in these scriptures indicates the meaning of being unfull. That is, the unattached new cloth in itself is unfull or unfulfilled until it's woven in or grafted back in to the older existing garment. And when you bring the two together, then you get the fullness. And that's what New Beginnings is doing. Somehow, some way, God chose Pastor Larry to receive this kind of revelation that I will reteach the Bible through the eyes of a Jewish Jesus. Not, not so we can be legalistic or be ritualistic, but so that we can have a fuller revelation of the plans of God. Then in verse 17, uh, many of us understand, Old wineskin! You're an old wineskin! And so here Jesus uses that wineskin analogy. He says you don't put new wine into old wineskins because the old skin will burst, thus the wine is spilled, and both are ruined. Okay, so the wineskin is a different analogy of the Old Testament and the New Testament. Okay, the new wine is the new revelation. The old wineskin is the Old Testament. To preserve both, you put new wine into new wineskins. But here's the rub. It's not new wineskins as we would suppose. Okay, I'm going to go down to the wineskin shop and get new wineskins. And all the old wineskins I'm going to discard. That word new actually is renewed. Renewed. You put new wine into renewed wineskins. You know, it wasn't like they had wineskin shops like 7-Elevens, right? And these things are expensive. So they would recondition those wineskins so that over time, through the olive oil, they would recondition and make it renewed so it can uh, extend its life. 
And that's what uh, Jesus is talking about here. The new wine represents the messianic revelation. The old wineskin represents Judaism. We don't want to ruin either of them, Jesus says. But in order for the new wine to go into the old wineskin, the old wineskin needs some little oil of the Holy Ghost. So it's reconditioning. That means in both examples, both sides are realizing the give and take. And you can just imagine Paul understanding this. Above everyone else, the Apostle Paul understood this. And you can imagine how frustrating it must have been for him to have all of these factions under one roof, under one church, actually one synagogue, and everybody's trying to press their point. This is what it means. This is what it means. This is what it means. And Paul does the old Rodney King deal. Can't we all just get along? But when you get power and money and agendas involved, that wouldn't happen in today's church. Power, politics, money, agendas. Yeah. So, the apostles knew this. They knew this concept, this religious philosophy. And they knew that receiving Jesus didn't make them ex-Jews. It didn't mean they were going to just abandon. Okay, everybody, we can finally have a ham sandwich! (laughs) I've been waiting for the moment that the Messiah would come so I can have BLTs. They retained their Jewish identity. But they added to their faith the revelation of Yeshua as Messiah. Now look at this. This is important. Did the Jews reject Jesus? Not according to Acts 6-7. Go to Acts 6-7. The Word of God spread. The number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. They were priests with a revelation. The Levites were getting saved, as we would say today. They were obedient to the faith, and the Word of God spread. Revival. Okay? Look at Acts 21.20. The revival is spreading. Yeshua is alive. He is the Messiah. And in Acts 21.20, when the spiritual leaders heard about everything, they praised God. They said to Paul, You see, brother, how many thousands of Jews are now believers. How many have in your Bible, how many of you see the word myriad? Do you see the word myriad? Myriad means 10,000. And at the end of the word myriad, is is there an S on it? So that means plural. 
myriads. So if one myriad is 10,000 and the plural, that's got to be at least 30,000. So let's read it that way. They said to Paul, You see, brother, how at least 30,000 Jews are now believers and all of them are deeply committed to Moses' teaching. That's a pretty impressive scripture when we're talking about the old and the new coming together and we're talking about the early church and how the early church embraced the idea that Moses is important. We're not abandoning Moses. But now we believe in Messiah too. And at least 30,000 in this one scripture, I mean, it could be 40,000. He could have meant 50,000. That's a lot. That's, I would say that's revival. If, if you can fill up Dallas Cowboys Stadium with believers and turn them loose back in biblical times, that's a lot of influence. That's a lot of salt in life. Look at John 1.45. I'm giving you, let every word be established by two or three witnesses. John 1.45 Philip found Nathanael and told him, We have found the man whom Moses wrote about in his teachings, and whom the prophets wrote about. He is Yeshua, son of Joseph, from the city of Nazareth. Yeah, he was born in the city of David, raised in the city of Nazareth, and now you've got a Hamas leader saying Jesus was a Palestinian. <laughs> so, praise God. The, there, there are some things, obviously, that change with the coming of Jesus. But a, did the Ten Commandments change? Did God change his mind on put me first? Have no other God before me? No. No, that's, that's as important today as it was 3,000 years ago. Right? The biggest thing that changed are the ceremonial and temple aspects uh, of the Old Testament. Because whether it be the sacrifices or the artifacts like the menorah and uh, the other artifacts in the temple, uh, all of those things that God gave to point Israel towards the ultimate, toward, that those things were temporary. The sacrifices, the temporary. Now through Messiah, now through Yeshua, He fulfills all of those things and we can go to Him to receive the revelation and any blessing and benefit associated with that. Amen? And so, yeah, the Torah, but now He's the living Torah. The menorah, now He's the living menorah. Uh, Passover lamb, Yom Kippur sacrifice, red heifer sacrifice. Now he embodies all of that. So whatever they offered temporarily in Israel, now by faith we receive that into our own lives by faith in Yeshua and what he did. But we study all of those things to get the backstory. 
Oh, now I see why it's important to study the menorah. Because in the menorah, you find the anointing of God, the wisdom of God, the knowledge of God. And, and now, through Jesus, I appropriate those things, those qualities, into my life. Amen. So, just in, uh, in closing... One of the things that Jesus came to do is redeem the Torah, not just redeem people. The Torah of Moses had in some ways been legalized, and man-made traditions got in, and uh, it just kept getting more and more regulation. It's like government. Government wants more government, more laws, more rate, and they keep heaping things on business people and on the common people, more taxes, more forms, more regulations, more, more. Why? Because they want power and authority, so it was in religion. And so pretty soon, uh, and this is what legalism means uh, in a big way when you talk about the law. Paul is talking about, in many cases, legalism. Not God's law, but man-made law. In addition to the Torah. It's like, I can look around the room here, and according to some Christian church doctrines, some of you are going to hell today just by the way you're dressed. Your hair isn't in a bun, your skirt isn't long enough, and therefore thou hast violated the things of God and thou shalt burn for all of eternity. That's man-made law. Galatians 4.4 4 speaks to this. It's just such a great scripture out of the uh, complete Jewish Bible. When the appointed time arrived, Galatians 4.4, When the appointed time arrived, God sent forth His Son. He was born from a woman, born into a culture in which legalistic perversion of the Torah was the norm. So that he might redeem those in subjection to this legalism and thus enable us to be made God's sons. That's the complete Jewish Bible. It wasn't the Torah. It wasn't Moses. That's not where the fault lied. The fault lied, the error lied in man interpreting the, the Torah and adding to the Torah man-made law on top of the Ten Commandments and just all the Torah laws. So now you just didn't have God's Word as law. Now you had probably more things than ever before. And uh, it began to supersede the Word of God. And God is saying, I'm sending Jesus to redeem the Torah from the misunderstanding, the misinterpretation of what religion has done, and we're going to get back to the way it was meant to be through Christ. Amen? Amen. And that's the good news. Amen? Jesus came to redeem us. And He came to redeem the Bible, the Torah, our religious experience from legalism. 
from those extra traditions of men, the extra laws that were put into place. And, and that what that does, all of a sudden, now there's a freedom. Now there's a, a new attitude of trust and faith and love. That's the foundation of our relationship with the Lord. Amen. And uh, it ties into perhaps the most important messianic prophecy in all the Torah uh, from Deuteronomy 18.15. Deuteronomy 18.15. And I'll close with this. It says, Yahweh your Elohim will send you a prophet, an Israelite like me, not a Palestinian, an Israelite like me, you must listen to him. Listen to him. So we listen to Moses to be sure, but even Moses saying uh, there's coming a time when the Messiah will come and he above all is who you must listen to. Amen? Amen. Well, do you receive that today? Give the Lord a praise. Thank you for Zooming with us. We love you. Happy New Year. It's a year of revival.